Hello and welcome. My guest today is Andy Frisella. Andy is the CEO of First Form, the creator of 75 Hard, and the host of the Real AF podcast. And this episode was particularly impactful for me because 75 Hard changed my life. For those unfamiliar, 75 Hard is a program where for 75 days straight, you do two 45-minute workouts. One of them has to be outdoors. You drink a gallon of water. You read 10 pages of a nonfiction book. You follow a diet without drinking any alcohol, and you take a progress photo. And you have to do this every single day. And if you miss a day, you go back to day zero or day one. And I did it in September of 2019 with my friend Tej Dosa, who appeared on this podcast as episode one. And as a result of doing this program, I became more disciplined, more capable of following through on my word, and more appreciative for life. So in this conversation, we spoke about 75 Hard, and I'll include links for Andy speaking about this on his own podcast below, so you can check it out if you have any interest in 75 Hard. But we also spoke about visualization, what's wrong with the modern education system, and how to improve as a communicator, as well as a lot of other topics that Andy doesn't often talk about. So if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with somebody you think will enjoy it as well. That could be tweeting your favorite quote. That could be texting it to a friend, making it your Instagram story. If you didn't get value from this episode, don't share it at all. But if you did, sharing the show goes a long way. And I appreciate you so much for listening and your time is valuable. So thank you for spending it on something that will help you improve your own life. Without further ado, here is Andy Frisella. Andy, you know, 1,317 days ago, I wrote an email to my friend and I said, I'm in a big time rut. I really should be more motivated than ever. I'm in a sick location. I've done some stuff, but not everything I want to. The truth is I have no idea why I just don't feel like doing anything except going to the gym. It's so weird. I know I should be grateful for my life, but I'm not. And in many respects, I just don't care about doing anything anymore. I feel like a bitch. And I wrote that. And nine days later, I start 75 hard. Damn. By the end of that program, I was able to do things for the first time in my life that I said I was going to do. That's what's up, dude. And I would hear you say, you can change your life in 1,000 days. And I started this podcast 937 days ago. That's awesome, bro. I love that, man. It's Thank you. Yeah, it's the truth. It's, you know, but it's true for everybody. It's not just true for you, but you got to be able to take it and go with it. And that's the part. You know what I'm saying? How you feel in that you're writing there, that's not uncommon, man. Mm-hmm. It's not even uncommon for me to feel that way or anybody else. Like there's lots of times that that I even struggle. I just know how to get myself out of the struggle, mm. you know? And that's that's why, you know, I try to share the, what I do share. But hearing that, brother, um, just meeting you literally five minutes ago, um, that's really fucking cool, dude. Yeah. It's it's an incredible thing. The, the light you've given to me is something that I am forever grateful for. And I'm sure you hear that shit every day. But I want to make this interview about you because there's so many parts of your story that 
just need to be heard and need to be told. Take me back to Mountain Berry Punch Kool-Aid. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so um, all right. So this comes, usually this is the answer people will ask. They say, what's the most important lesson you ever learned? And I learned it when I was, I don't know, I was probably five or six years old, man. Uh, and I learned it from my mom. And we were in the grocery store here in St. Louis, and we were walking through the Kool-Aid aisle. And when we were kids, man, we were like, we, we were like, like now I would say we were poor, but like we, we were not definitely not like well off. We were just kind of middle class. Um, and we didn't, you know, like we, we drank Tang and like, you know, Fool Aid, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and uh, so we're walking through the, we were walking through the, uh, the Kool-Aid aisle. And I say that because both my parents were entrepreneurs and they were both in the struggle part of that business. So like when I was growing up, they were in the struggle, mm -hmm. just like you were in struggle. I was in struggle and you know, they're doing the best they can. But you know, when you go to the grocery store and you're a little kid, you don't know that shit. Right. So like I was walking through, we were walking through the, uh, through the Kool-Aid aisle and you know, I see all the flavors of Kool-Aid that I've never had. Right. And then I saw the mountain berry punch one and I remember grabbing it. And this is like really one of my earliest memories of life. I grabbed it. And I'm like, mom, can we get this? You know, I want mountain berry punch Kool-Aid. And uh, she said, no. And, you know, I was like, well, I'm getting me some mountain berry punch. Right. <laughs> so I stole it and went home. And I didn't, I obviously didn't think this through very well because I couldn't make my own Kool-Aid. Right. <laughs> so I went to my mom. I'm like, mom, will you make me this Kool-Aid? And, you know, she saw what I did. And, you know, I got my ass whooped because that's what that's what my parents did. And uh, after that, I was forced to take it back to the store and return it. And um, the lesson there was do the right thing, you know, and, and she never let me forget that. And so uh, when people say, what's the most important lesson that I've ever learned? I'd say that lesson above all, above everything, above the, the skills of discipline and how to create momentum and these other things that have served me tremendously. I think the foundational building block of a quality life that you're proud of and fulfilled of is trying to do the right thing you know, and you're not always going to do it. You know, you're going to mess it up. And then when you realize that you messed it up, go back and try to make it right. And I think living that, I've always tried to live that uh, to the best of my abilities. And I think it's going to be necessary for a lot of you guys when you get older to have that clear conscious that you live that way. Because otherwise, you have a lot of regrets and a lot of anxiety and a lot of depression. And there's things that you think about. You're like, fuck, I wish I had done this back then. And all these regrets. And like, you know, I just think living that life is, is a, is a way to not have that. And I also think that it's an energy thing, right? Mm. Like I think when you intend to do the right thing, even if you don't always succeed at it, I think that counts for something. Mm. And um, when you have good intentions for people, good intentions for other people that you don't know, I believe that the universe rewards that back uh, with good things that happen to us. And, and I, my life is a perfect example of that because dude, I've created some cr pretty amazing stuff at a fairly young age. I know I got some grays now, but I mean, I'm 43. It's not like I'm 143. Right. And, uh, I built companies that are worth 10 figures. Um, you know, and I've done a lot of shit. Like I've, I've built one of the most popular fitness programs in the history of fitness or mental toughness, you know, in the history of the world. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, I've, I've had a top ranked podcast for nearly a decade. Like I've done some incredible things, but, but dude, the only reason I've been able to do those things, I believe because I'm a normal human, dude, like I'm pretty much just like anybody out there, like exactly the same. 
is because I think the universe helps me because I try to do the right things. And so I think that's why it makes it the most valuable lesson, you know, that I ever learned because I think it serves me the most and it serves everybody else the most too. I think there's a lot of things in the world, bro, that we don't fully understand, like rules to the game that we were never taught or never allowed to know. And I think one of them is truly that what we put out energy wise, we do get back in some way, shape or form. And that's why we see negative people that can never escape their negative lives. And we see positive people that seem to never have anything Bad happened to them, no matter, and it's a, it's a perspective, right? Like we choose to see things for how they are um, and what they mean to us. But in reality, I truly believe that when you do the right thing and you have good intents and you try to live a, a, a high level quality life, good things happen to you easier than mm. if you didn't, mm. that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it does. And, and I've experienced that as well. And it's really remarkable when you look back and you see the ways in which you operated differently and you have journal entries. What's your, like, how do you keep a journal? What is your journal? What, how do you document the moments? Is it the podcast? Uh, yeah, I would say the podcast is, is pretty, I don't actually journal like a lot of people journal. I don't pull out a piece of paper and write. And I should, because I know it does help. And I, I you know, writing is a perishable skill. When you don't write, you kind of lose your skill to write. I like to be a good writer, you know. Um, you are I a good should, writer. Should, thank you. I should do it, uh, but I don't. But I think the podcast is probably the most clear record um, that exists where people can see like where I started and where, where I've come to mm -hmm. outside of knowing me before I started the podcast. Right. Um, but I think like, if you go back and listen to episodes t one through 50 on MFCEO, and I think if you go listen to the, the last 20 on real AF, you can notice a big amount of growth there. Mm. And I think people, you know, I'm not the same person I was then. I'm not even the same. Now I have the same fundamental beliefs, but I've learned some nuance. I've learned that not everything is black and white. Mm. You know, when I was a little bit younger, I was very hard line on a lot of things I said. And, you know, as I've gotten older, I realized, well, that's generally right. There are exceptions and not every exception is an excuse, mm. but there are a lot of excuses too, right? Mm. So I've learned to see the nuance because I've seen more of my life. And I think if you were to say, you know, fair, what you said, uh, uh, the, journal, the journal would be my podcast. Yeah. For the most part. What have you noticed as ways that you've improved as a communicator? Because when I look back at the early MFCO mm -hmm. episodes versus real life, you're much better at speaking the things in your head to reality. Yeah. And it's much more clear, succinct, and you get a message across better. How, how else have you improved as a communicator? I think it's just reps, man. Yeah. You know, it's just like you were, we were talking right before we started the show, like, uh, you know, when you do hundreds of podcasts, you're going to get better at podcasting. Um, when you have hundreds and thousands of communications or, you know, hundreds or thousands of public speaking opportunity, you're going to get better at it and you're going to become pretty good. And, you know, one of the biggest things that I think has, um, has helped me become a better communicator is like, and this, this really sucked for me to do because I don't like my own voice. I don't like hear like, I'm just like everybody else, right? Like we you know how, like when you record a voicemail, you're like, fuck, I sound like a dork, right? Like we, I, when I hear my podcast or my clips on the internet, like, dude, everybody's like, oh, those are cool. And like, I'm like, oh, fuck, dude. I wish they would take that down, right? Uh -huh. So like, I, I, don't, I don't like listening to myself. But what I did was, I did go back and listen to a lot of the things that I did in MFCEO. And I just had an objective viewpoint of, you know, okay, well, if I was listening to this person and I didn't know who this was, how would I suggest them to get better? Mm. And I started trying to implement those things. You know, if you listen now versus then, I curse a lot less now than I did then. Mm. Um, you know, 
I do try to, instead of just saying, this is the way it is, I try to say, this is the way I think it is. And there could be this and this, but this is the way it appears to be, you know, more nuanced with my, with my speaking and things like that. And then also bro, real talk, just listening, man, you know, just learning how to be a listener and not always a talker. Mm. Um, that's helped a lot too. Yeah. That's beautiful. The funny thing about what you said is you didn't mention 75 hard, but to me, that was the best thing that made me a better communicator. Yeah, really? Because when your actions are aligned with mm -hmm. your words, which you are forced to do when you say, I'm going to do this yes. 10 pages, I'm going to yes. do this workout, I'm going to do, you're doing that every day. Your yeah. actions are aligned with your words. And then when you speak, it is with more conviction because you that's believe right. your own words that's more. That's a great point, dude. That's a great point. You caught me slipping there because that's a really good point. The, uh, it, it, it gives, I, yeah, you know, now that you point that out, I would say that did a lot for me because live start, because I live that life all the time pretty mm -hmm. much, right? Like I'm doing live hard every year um, until I die. Mm. And you're right about that. You know, it's, I've just been doing it so long. I never, I've kind of forgotten what it feels like to not have confidence in what I'm saying. So, but that makes a lot of sense. You know, just, just when you, when you live aligned with what you say you're going to do and you do these things, you automatically become more confident in your delivery on anything. Yes. So, um, that's a great point, brother. Well, you've said before that you felt like a hypocrite yeah. because you were putting an image of yourself in front of the world yeah. and you weren't actually doing the things yeah. that could get you to that point. And it's crazy because I'm sure at a subconscious level, people could tell. Oh yeah. Yeah, dude. I mean, look, I was 350 pounds, bro. And I'm on stage talking about discipline of running a business, right? You have to do this. You have to do this. You have, which were all true. But then I failed to apply those same principles to other areas of my life, mm. right? And that's how you get to be 350 pounds. So yeah, dude, uh, that actually was one of the main reasons I started to get my shit together was because I was working with Tyler and he made a clip of a speaking engagement that I did in like 2014. And uh, dude, I saw myself on stage and I was like, dude, you're a fraud. You're full of shit. Yeah. And it took me about a year to really like make the decision to actually go through and change. I was like everybody else, dude. I would, I would go out, uh, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And the whole time I would justify saying on Monday, it's going to get real on Monday. I'm going to start. And I would do that just like everybody else does. And then I would get Monday, Tuesday. And by Wednesday, I was so focused on what I was missing out on that. I like started to drive this narrative into my brain. Like, Oh, I can't eat pizza. By Wednesday, I drove myself crazy because I kept telling myself, oh, you can't eat pizza, you can't eat pizza. And then all of a sudden, I'm off the fucking rails again for the next four days. And that's how I live my life. Yeah. And I think a lot of people live their lives like that. And I think that, you know, understanding how to how to reel, reel things in and, and build self-control through forced discipline in the beginning, mm. I think that's, you know, that's probably the second best lesson. You asked what the first one was, the, the mountain berry, but the second best one is... Definitely what I've learned through 75 hard and, and living that life for real. What makes you so comfortable speaking your truth about so many of the down moments of life? I think a lot of people would experience what you've experienced, mm -hmm. but wouldn't be comfortable sharing it with the world. Why are you so comfortable doing that? Man, you know, I just, I don't know, dude. Like, that's really a good question. I never really thought about it. It's just, I, I don't really... Like, I know I'm a human, like, I guess the answer is, is I know I'm a human being, right? And mm -hmm. I know I'm like a regular human and I know I fuck up and I know I have like weird shit about me that people would think was weird. And like, just like everybody else, 
And so like, I just decide, I make the decision that like when, when I get criticized or when someone doesn't really vibe with how I say things or this, I don't take it personal because I'm like, well, fuck dude. I don't like everybody either. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like there's lots of people that are my, that are not my flavor. That doesn't mean I, it doesn't mean I hate them. They're just not for me. And like, I've always accepted that. And, and I don't get embarrassed too easy. Like, you know, I do get embarrassed, but it's, it, but then you talk about how you're embarrassed. Yeah. Yeah. But like, <laughs> dude, but, but isn't that all of us? No. Like, like isn't, but I'm saying, isn't, don't we all yeah. have that? Like, don't we all have embarrassing moments? We're like, fuck, I feel like such a loser or such an idiot or I feel so stupid. And it's like, I think, I just feel like it's easier to process when I'm just like, man, you know what? I feel really stupid about that. I shouldn't have done that. Or you know what? That is embarrassing, but here's what I learned. And then try to like share it with people in that way. And I think a lot of times for me at this point in my career, it's like more like I'm giving people permission to also do that. Mm. And I've realized that as well. So like when I become aware that I'm actually giving people permission to speak their truths and be okay with who they are, that incentivizes me to be more authentic with my shortcomings. Mm. Cause I can then like, dude, like look, bro, you got shit fucked up with you. I got shit fucked up with you. It's okay. We're still cool. We're going to try to get better. And I think that if the whole world thought like that, we'd have a much cooler world to live in, yeah. you know, much more comfortable with ourselves, much less anxiety or worry or create Like one of the things that social media has created is this like mentality where people think that people are creating narratives about them in their head or like, you know, always talking about them. Dude, we're so, everybody's so busy. No one's talking about you, man. Like yeah. real talk. And the ones that are, the only reason they're talking about you is because you're doing something cool. Yes. Okay. So like having people talk about you is actually a badge of honor because it means you're relevant. Hmm. You know, I don't, I don't know, man. Like it's a, that's a really great question. I, I just think I'm, I just think I try to keep it real, dude. I think people benefit from that. You know, like, like, dude, I see some of the other, you know, entrepreneur influencers and, you know, they'll talk like, they'll be like, well, you know, I'm superhuman. I was fucking, you know, work 27 hours out of 24. I do this and this and this and this grind, 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 grind. And I'm like, fuck dude. Like, you know how demoralizing that is to like the average person who doesn't have that ability to execute and, and work that hard or hasn't developed it yet. It's completely demoralizing because these people are choosing to build themselves up to have strengths and powers, which by the way, they don't actually have, right? Mm -hmm. It's just about ego thing. And then the people who are trying, they're trying to serve are now demoralized. And so I've always felt it better to me to like tell the truth about who I am and what I'm about and let people know like, dude, yeah, I make mistakes. Yeah. It's hard for me. Yeah. I struggle with this. Um, I know everybody thinks that, you know, this shit's easy, but it's not easy. And I think that just by telling the truth, we're serving the people who are watching us better than we would be to build ourselves up and make ourselves look like we're super people. You know what I mean? And, um, that's important to me because I want to set, I want to set the best example I can. Like there's things about me that like are not worth being examples for like, bro, I smoke weed every fucking day, right? That's not that great of an example, but I also tell the truth about it. Yeah. I don't hide it. I don't say, uh, Hey, I don't do that. I, but I also tell people like, you know what? I didn't really start that until I had already built all the shit that I built. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I just tell the truth, man. And I try to say, I try to serve through the experiences I have that, that, that have either served me or hurt me because my ultimate goal is to make the people who are listening to me better and more aware so they can more effectively navigate their lives. And that's my whole mission. And so you, you've done that with me. Well, thank you, bro. Like, yeah. You know, I, that means a lot to me because a lot of times, right? Like I don't really go anywhere outside of 
I mean, that's why you're here, you know, like I don't go anywhere outside of this building or home. Um, and I just live my life and do my thing. So like, sometimes I forget, you know, that this stuff does matter. And their numbers on a screen until somebody looks you in your eyes yeah. and says, dude, you changed my life. Not just that, bro. You get on a plane, come all the way up here from Texas mm-hmm. to interview me. And I mean, that means something to me. I respect that. Yeah. And so like, dude, it, you know, I really, it means a lot for me to, that you said that. I, and you're doing some really cool stuff, dude. It's, it's, you know, to hear that you're doing hundreds of episodes and building the show and the way you're doing it. Um, it's really fucking cool. I appreciate that tremendously. Another person whose life you've impacted, who you may or may not know, is this guy named George Heaton. George Heaton is under 30 years old, I believe, has built a massive company in the UK, luxury men's fashion company. But once the company really started taking off was because he did 75 hard. And then he did live hard. Mm -hmm. And have you heard of George Heaton? No. uh -uh. And George Heaton is a savage. And he's appeared twice on this podcast. And the reason why I bring him up is because he is somebody who embodied, he might be the the greatest case study for 75 hard that there is. That's awesome. Because he went from having a a good business, but then having a massive business. That's awesome. And he credits 75 hard to that. So what does it feel like to be a role model for so many young men who previously didn't have that discipline and didn't have the drive to do what they needed to do, even when it was difficult. Well, that's the point of why I do it. So it feels good. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, like it, all of these things that that these guys have and girls have learned from me, I didn't. I had to learn through the experience of it, right? Mm-hmm. And so that means I had to suffer way more than what was necessary. And like my whole thing is like, dude, I want to end people's suffering through making them realize that they are actually in control of their environment. Most people believe that they are not in control of their environment. This is simply untrue because when we look at the actions that we take that actually affect our lives or the circumstances that happen in society that actually affect our lives, the circle is very tiny. It's very small right around us as individuals, who we spend our time with, what food we consume, how we move, the information we consume, okay, Um, a, a number of other things, right? But those few things actually create the the vast majority of our reality. Hmm. And the world doesn't want to allow us to understand that because the world wants us to be weak. It wants us to be out of shape. It wants us to be sick. It wants us to be dependent on them as much as possible. So they don't ever teach us as individuals that we are actually in control. Now, can we control the weather? No, we can't control the weather. But that's also why, in part of the program, guess what you got to do? You got to get out in the fucking weather when it sucks and do your shit. All right, because we can't control our environment, but we can at the same time. So it's a, it's a it's a paradox in terms of how we think about it. And, and the reality of the scenario is, is that, dude, we are in control of, you know, upper 90 percent of our whole reality and just giving people the giving people the tools necessary for them to discover that. And I do it for free. I mean, bro, like, yeah, it makes me feel good. But like, I don't. I don't, I do it for that. Like, I don't need the recognition. I don't need the, like, I don't, you know, like, bro, if it were up to me, I'd be living in the fucking woods, bro. Like it's, it it makes me feel great. And that's what we should be doing as human beings. We should be showing people through our examples, how to live a a high standard quality life um, in all areas. 
And we look around in society and we wonder why society is so fucked up. Well, we don't have enough people doing what Georgia's done, mm. right? Where they've, they've, they've woken up and they've said, well, fuck this, dude. I'm in control of most of my stuff and I'm going to handle it. And then all of a sudden when they like, dude, that's why I talk about it in terms of building confidence because so many people lack confidence. You know, when you discover, like, this goes back to the question you asked earlier. Like when you discover how powerful you really are, it's impossible to not have confidence. It's impossible. And see, that's what 75 Hard and Live Hard does for people. It gives them an understanding that I actually am in control. And, and, and the, like the superior enlightenment level of Live Hard and 75 Hard is realizing that even when you're out of control, all you have to do is recognize that you're out of control and you can get right back in control very quickly. And so you actually learn to self-audit your direction and, and control your life. And like, dude, it's it's powerful stuff. And, and a lot of people, you know, and this is why I get so pissed off when people are like, oh, it's for fucking weight loss or it's a fitness challenge. Dude, you have no idea what you're talking about. It's a mental realignment on how to truly navigate and win at life. When you fall down, which you inevitably will, how fast you can get back up is determining your life. And when you go from, there, there have been periods in my life when one bad thing happened and I let that control my reality for a year. Yeah. And then there have been periods in my life when one bad thing happens and I am better in that moment. Yes. And the time between the bad thing happening and how quickly you can get back on the right path, that is what life is all about. Bro, it's the, that what you just described is the, we're, what we're doing is we're literally shortening the, cause dude, time is our, our most valued resource. It's not money. It's not energy. It's fucking time. Yes. Okay. We have a finite amount of time. And if you can close the time window from the time the mistake happens or the off track happens to getting back on track, dude, you're, you're light years ahead of everybody else because most people will stay in that low spot because they're given permission. Look at the society yeah. we live in, dude. Yeah. The society that we live in values and promotes and encourages mental health issues and self-victimhood. Mm -hmm. If you go on the internet and you look at the posts that get the most fucking likes and the most comments, these are posts of somebody's fucking sad story. But the reality is, is 90 fucking times, and I'm not saying that some of these things aren't valid because they are. There's a lot of people out there struggling right now. Mm -hmm. So don't get it twisted. But 90% of those times, you could flip the picture right over to what it's like to live in a third world country and you realize that you're not that fucked up, dude. You're just a little bit off track. And if we really dig further into that, the reason that you don't feel right is because you're not controlling any of the things that you have the capability to control. Mm. You're choosing to not control your food. You're choosing not to put quality information in your brain. You're choosing not to move right. You're choosing not to train. You're choosing not to be around people that are healthy for you. And these all come down to real choices. And so when we close that time gap and then understand that it's all due to our choices, we basically almost, almost, because there's going to be times that are really hard, right? You're going to lose parents. You're going to lose people that you love. There's going to be times where you have to go through things that it's not going to be a day, right? It's going to be some time. But you're still able to close these time windows of loss and failure and staying in the mud to basically nothing, dude. Mm. And that gives you so much more time to be progressing, which ultimately creates the gap between you and everybody else and how they live. Yeah. And there's no better example of that than your shoulder, right? <laughs> I'm still dealing with that, bro. I guess so. You know, it's, uh, how's that going for it, you? It's going it, good. You know, I, I'm still dealing with it. It's been, uh, 
I injured it in September of 21, full tear um, of the labrum, uh, the bicep tendon, and then also my supraspinatus, pretty serious shoulder injury. Uh, <laughs> took me four or five months to be able to put my hand over my head. And then, uh, you know, I lost my entire physique that I worked very hard to get uh, because I couldn't train. I couldn't, I did what I could, but I mean, it was very minimal what I could do. And um, I, I here we are, let's see. 18 months later, roughly, yeah. you know, and I'm just now getting over the pain. Like literally I was texting my physical therapist just um, right before the show telling her, like, I think, cause we started doing dry needling mm-hmm. and think that the dry needling made a huge difference. Cause I'm not feeling pain right now. Wow. So like, it's been going good, but like the good news is, is I'm to a point where I could train enough to like get my physique back online and start to make progress the right way, which is a huge deal because when you get in that mindset of constantly improving you know when i got hurt dude that was the best i'd ever been i'd never been in better shape than that or mentally and i had to watch it all go away right and now i'm in the process of building it back and i i think i'm not far off from where i was at this point i would say within a few months um so that feels good you know that's something that it it, i feel that to answer your question yeah huge fucking test Mm -hmm. huge test and i passed it because i didn't get like way off track. You know, I stay within five, 10 pounds of my body weight, which I'm a naturally uh, fat guy. Like, okay. So like for me to not get up to 300 pounds and just be a lazy fuck during that process is a fucking huge victory for me, man. And it did, it did solidify that that old version of me is no longer there. Yeah. Sometimes we need to be tested in that way to realize how fucking good we actually are. Well, I was listening to your conversation with Tim Grover Mm -hmm. to prepare for this and I wanted to run through a brick wall hmm. when I listened to you guys talk. And he's telling you, dude, you are going to get in the best shape of your life. It's yeah. a guarantee. Yeah. You're going to do it. And and to hear Michael Jordan's trainer, Kobe yeah. Bryant's trainer, like former trainer, like that is a crazy thing to him be looking at you and yeah. telling you that, I'm sure. Yeah. It must have felt crazy. Well, dude, Tim, Tim is a very, very, very close friend of mine. In fact, um, you know, when I first came around, uh, to understand who Tim was, I was going through one of the hardest times of my life in business because mm. it was around 2011, 12, 13, in that time frame, And we had experienced some massive growth. I was very new to managing people. I had gone through, um, you know, a lot of very hard tests in business and, and bro, I was out of shape. I was struggling. Uh, and dude, like just real talk, like I was in a suicidal type space and I felt I always felt out of place. I always felt like I saw things one way and the rest of the world saw things another way. Hmm. And so it made me feel very alone. And that's what gave me the suicide. I'm like, bro, there's something wrong with me. Like that was my thinking. My thinking was because I'm so driven, because I'm so aggressive, because I speak my truth, because like I'm a broken human and everybody else is normal. And when I read Relentless the first time, dude, it, what it made me realize is that I'm not broken at all. I'm actually in the very top 1% of performers. And it was a great fucking thing. And it changed my whole perspective. So I went from this depressed, suicidal person to a person that like actually felt proud of who I was because I realized that it was very scarce. And the reason I was alone wasn't because I was totally fucked up. It was because that's just a very rare way to be. And the way, you know, the way that I met him, it was by total weird coincidence. And I think we were meant to be close friends um, because he's he's basically like an older brother to me, um, maybe even like a second dad. And uh, 
I value, he's one of the only men that I value what he says. You know what I'm saying? Like, like normally I trust myself. If Tim tells me something, I know he's telling me the real shit. Mm. And, uh, and that's a compliment to him because like, there's very few people that are like that. My, my dad's like that and he's like that. And I really can't think of anybody else. Maybe I might let. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I got to meet him. I did a, I was doing a, a seminar. I was speaking and he was also speaking. And this was a few years after I read the book. And what was, what was crazy was because at that time I had developed a pretty good social media presence and I posted his book and he's like sold a whole shitload of books. And so he actually recognized me because people were telling him on the internet that I was recommending his book for people to read. He didn't know who I was, but he knew that I was the guy telling people. So he recognized me when we were at this growth conference and I was walking by him and I fucking saw him out the corner of my eye. I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, I told Emily, I'm like, there's fucking Tim Grover, dude. Like right there. And dude, Tim looks at me, he goes, Andy. And I'm like, holy shit. Tim Grover knows who the fuck I am. Like, and dude, ever since then, like legit, we've just been like buddies, you know, like we don't talk every day, uh, but we don't have to talk every day. You know what I'm saying? Like I can go, he's like one of those guys you can go a year without talking to, which we don't, we talk every few months at least. But I mean, you can go a whole year without talking to him and nothing's changed. Like he totally gets, he totally gets what he talks about in the book, the cleaner mindset. Mm. He gets people like that. Like he understands, like you get, a lot of people don't understand that about success driven people, right? Like I have my head so down far into my own shit that people think I'm being rude or aloof or not wanting to hang out with them or this. No, dude, I'm just so focused on what I'm doing that I don't prioritize those things. And it's not personal. If I were to do those things, I would love to hang out with you, you know, but like I'm not cut from that cloth. And so Tim's been in a very, very important person for me because he's the guy, you know, sort of like we were talking earlier, where I feel like I give a lot of people permission to to be okay with who they are. He's the guy who did that for me. Mm. And that's that's something that uh it's very near and dear for me, dude. Yeah, I read his books after you yeah. recommended them and changed my life as well and was very pivotal. So we'll, we'll link those down below. Uh, I, you had a part in there that you mentioned about how when you were doing the best, you felt the worst. Mm -hmm. And this happened to you multiple times. Pacific Rim, watching it yeah. reruns nonstop. Yeah. You're getting money coming in nonstop, nonstop. Yeah. But you're doing the worst, actually. Mm -hmm. Why does that happen? Why does it happen when we do the best sometimes, we feel the worst? I think it's because when we're experiencing the best results that we're experiencing, we're actually experiencing the results of actions that took place 30, 60, 90, 120 days ago. Mm -hmm. And now we're not doing those actions that's, that got us the result. So the result's coming and we don't feel like we deserve it because we're not living to what we know to be the standard of how those things were produced. And then we realize like, oh fuck, I'm kind of a piece of shit, right? And then we start down the negative cycle. And this is the important thing that we were talking about a moment ago, when you can shorten that negative cycle, right? So like, if you understand how much control you are and you understand that you can flip the switch whenever you decide to, now when you actually recognize, oh fuck, well, the reason I feel like shit is because I'm not living to the standard that I'm setting for myself, even though I'm producing the results. I'm making lots of money, right? But the reason I'm making lots of money is because of the stuff I did last year or the year before when I was really working hard. And then because I started making a little money, I got a little lazy mm -hmm. and I started making more money. I'm like, oh, this is great. And then you start making, you start drinking, you know, the best drinks and the be eating the best food. And all of a sudden, you know, you think it's just your life when in reality, you still have to go out and hunt and kill every single day to maintain that. And so I think that it comes down to what you were saying in the beginning of the show 
living authentically in line with what you know mm -hmm. to be the way mm -hmm. uh, or not. And I think that when, like, for example, the situation you brought up about the Pacific Rim, that's a story I tell on my show where I talk about uh, one of the biggest revelations I had in business and life. And I got pneumonia and I was making more money than I ever made. I thought I was rich, which this was like 10 years ago and I wasn't rich. I just thought I was. Um, how much money did you have? Or I was, making seven, I was making seven figures, but like it was, I mean, look, I was rich, but like I'm really rich now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so like, I'm just going to say it the way it is. So uh, that's the truth of the situation. Yes. I don't say that to be No, arrogant. no, of course. Yeah. So I realized during this time, because I was, I was sick, I couldn't go to work. I missed 17 days of work, which I had never missed before. Um, I could see my money coming in on my phone every, every day. I could see our sales. I could see them going up. I could see my, I got paid on a weekly basis. Then uh, I could see my account going up. Right. So mm -hmm. if I'm home for 17 days, that's at least two pay periods where I get paid. So, but I'm fucking miserable, bro, because I'm, I'm sick. I feel like shit. I'm sitting here watching this God awful movie that I secretly love like over, Eight times. Yeah, over and over and over again. And dude, it dawned on me. I'm like, fuck dude, this is why. And this is the thought I had. I'm like, this, this is why rich people kill themselves. That's what hit me like all at once. And I was like, fuck. And so like what I realized was, is that I had to remove the purpose. I had to adjust the purpose. And I've had to do this a couple times over the course of my life, but I realized, okay, bro, you're good. Like you're, you're good. You're, you know, and by, I don't live beyond my means. I live very conservative inside my, my earning income. Um, so like I was living in a normal house, you know, I did have a Lamborghini at the time because I'm a huge car guy, but, uh, I mean, bro, the Lamborghini cost more than my fucking house. I was definitely that guy. But, uh, but the, the point is, is that, you know, I started realizing I'm like, dude, I'm good. But then I got all these dudes at work and these girls at work working their asses off. Right. Mm. Who are not where I'm at. Mm. And it made me feel like incredibly like guilty and so what it did was it allowed me to adjust my perspective, which served me very well over the, the, the next 10 years um, from saying, okay, this is about me getting money and becoming wealthy to this is about me finishing the job so that all of these people who are contributing to this can also live their dreams. Mm -hmm. And when I changed my perspective from this is you know about me and these people just work here and that's this is the way to fucking cookie crumbles and started taking responsibility and ownership. I became a much more effective leader because now people understood that like I'm here for them. And that goes on until this day. Like, dude, I'm here. I'm here every single day. I'm here seven days a week. And if you ask anybody in this building, they'll tell you that. And I think if you ask anybody in this building who who fucking works the hardest, I think I'm going to be at the top of that list. Now, there's some hard fucking workers in here and there's some definitely better athletes that do incredible shit, which is incredible because. I get the reputation of like mentally, the mental toughness guy, but I've got like fucking a hundred people in here that are more mentally tough than me. So my point in all of this is, is that I just realized that the purpose has to be adjusted at certain points in life. And that was a big adjustment for me. That was a big adjustment where I said, okay, this is not about me anymore. This is about them. Mm -hmm. And so I show up here still every day to make sure that these people that you can see in the background doing whatever they're doing, that these people have the opportunity to build a career, build a life, have a home, have kids, all these things. And uh, I try my hardest to do that. You know, yeah. it's, it's something that uh, I think if everybody 
took that perspective and understood how much easier it would be to manage a company when they think of it like that versus just thinking about it for yourself. Because mm. people can sense that, right? Like yeah. they know when you're in it for yourself or if you're actually in it for what you say you're in it for. Um, but yeah, man, it's it's a lot. It's a lot to think about. <laughs> no, it, I appreciate you going yeah. and explaining that yeah. so eloquently. What I realized from what you explained is something I like to call the three-month rule, mm -hmm. which is you're always three months away from the person you want to be and the person that people see you as. Mm -hmm. What people are reacting today for you is the things and the work you've been putting in for the past three months. That's right. And sometimes we get stuck and we start thinking that we are who we say we are because in this moment, it's that's it. Mm -hmm. But it's like, it, it's building to that point. Mm -hmm. And how have you built to that point? And so I want to take it to creating an alter ego for yourself because I feel like you haven't spoken too much about working for Andy Frisella. Mm -hmm. What is that like? It's it's working for a hard motherfucker, dude, that <laughs> expects results. You know, like um, I get asked this quite a bit about how I'm how I make hard decisions in business because there are hard decisions. The way I do it and the way that I found it to be effective is that I come to work and when I get here in this building, I don't own this company. I'm just the person that runs the company for this other guy named Andy Frisella. And I have to make the decisions that are in the best interest of him or I'll get fired. All right. So that's, that's how I have to make those decisions. So my job is essentially that I work for this alter ego version of me that has high standards, wants to win, wants to be the best at what he does. And I've got to figure out how to make that that work. And so that's that's how I do it. And I know it sounds a little bit weird, but it actually allows us to make decisions that are better for ourselves without feeling guilty for making them sometimes. Because some of us have such big hearts that we will selflessly pour ourselves on the train tracks for people over and over and over again without realizing how bad it is for ourselves, right? Hmm. So it's a, it's a way for us to get out of our self-martyrdom sometimes, but also uh, hold people that are like, you know, that you're friends with, that you care about, accountable. Like, hey man, like, I don't like this, but look at this. You're doing a shitty job, right? And I have to fucking show them. Like, it's my job. Because if I don't do that, we can't fix the problem. And if I can't fix the problem, I can't keep this dude over here happy. Yeah. So, you know, it's just a way for me to, to think about difficult things in business and life. How often, how do you handle or think about having difficult conversations? Not too often anymore, brother, because like, I don't, I, I mean... There are difficult situations. I mean, but very, very few times will you run into someone who's unreasonable. So most people understand when hard conversations are coming, they feel it, it's energy, right? Like, but how do you prepare for them? Well, how do I prepare for that? I mean, I, I've just been doing it so long, I don't think about it. Yeah. You know, it's just normal shit now for yeah. me. Like, I don't have any issue with confrontation because it's not personal for me. It's, it's about the cause or the business or the mission, right? right? So I don't have an issue with confrontation. So I don't really prepare for it at all. I kind of just see what is and then I communicate what is. Yeah. And that's all I do. Love that. That makes sense. Talk to me about visualization and particularly Ulysses Grant House mm -hmm. and for eight years straight, yeah. sending the owner yeah. of the house a message. Yeah. So um, I live where Ulysses S. Grant, the 18th president of the United States, his hunting property was, okay? So he has a very famous estate here in St. Louis uh, called Grant's Farm. Uh, that The Anheuser-Busch family owns it. Uh, it's, a, it's a legendary place in St. Louis. 
I live a full, a day's ride away from that property by horse and carriage. And this is where he would do his hunting and hang out and spend his recreational time. On this property, there's a oak tree that's 310 years old, older than the country. There's a his stables where his horses were kept, uh, which was built in the 1820s. And then where my house sits, which was not his house, uh, but is the exact place where his house was. Hmm. So he had a cabin, his cabin had burnt down and a guy built the house that I live in there. So it's uh, there's a number of things on the property that are historic that I can't really fuck with. And it's a really cool place. Tons of energy, tons of history. You can feel it when you're there. Um, and I love that stuff. So you really I'm, feel it? Like, oh, dude. Yeah. What, what are you feeling exactly? The heaviness, man. The heaviness of decisions that had to be made, which is weird that we're even talking about this right now because we just talked about that. Um, it's all lot, connected. A lot of heavy fucking decisions were made there. You could just feel it. And it's very spiritually active too. Uh, a lot of people don't believe in ghosts, but I have proof. I'm going to do a, a ghost podcast to show my videos and things that we have from the property. Uh, I'll show you off the show, but like they're pretty incredible. But uh, very, very much uh, a high energy type place like that. Wow. Uh, it's really cool to live there, man. I love it. Like I love living there. Um, but when I was growing up, uh, the girl I dated lived in Fenton, which is where I live now. And I would drive past this property when I went to her house from where I lived. And they were building this. Uh, my house is visible from the main road. And especially at night, it's lit up. You could see it. And I could see them building this like crazy house. And I, you know, when I was young, dude, I drove around the nice subdivisions because I looked at the houses because I like, dude, one day that's going to be me. And uh, what's really interesting is the, the, la the, the house that I lived in before that, I actually did that with too. Wow. So there's two like really nice streets on the south side here in St. Louis. And I've lived on both of them. And both of them I visualized growing up. So, but th with this particular house, this is really a crazy thing. So um, when I was in high school, I'd see this house being built and I would go up and I wanted to go, I was nosy. I want to see what they were doing. And I drove a Jeep back then, like a Jeep Jeep with no, no top, right? And I, I drive the Jeep up there and I see all the construction guys working and they would come over and they would like, be like, what? you know, can we help you? And I'm like, no, I'm just watching. And they were cool with it for a couple of days. And then after a while, they're like, you know, Hey, we're trying to work. You're in the way. Get the fuck out of here, kid. Right. So while I went, I never thought about it really too much, uh, in terms of actually owning it, but I thought the house was fucking cool, dude. I was like, man, like when I thought of a, like a house I wanted to live in, I thought of that exact house. So this whole time when I went and started my business, you know, the first three years in business, I didn't get paid. The next seven years in business, I made $695 a month. The next year after that, I made 180 grand. The next year after that, I made seven figures and I never made less than that ever again. So when I got to, when I got to the 180 year, all right, where I was like, holy shit, like, because dude, make, when you go from making nothing to 180, you, were, you think you're fucked, you're like, oh, but I could clearly see we were going on the up, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, this whole time, dude, I'm going through this struggle, this first 10 or 11 years. And when I think about quitting and I think about like stopping it and I think, which was a lot, I would always think about that fucking house. Wow. And, and so like that particular house. And so when I got to be like in that 180 year where I started to realize, holy shit, dude, I might actually be able to do this. I looked up the records of the guy who owned the house and I found him on Facebook. And I sent him a message and I said, 
something to the effect of said, hey, uh, if you live at Oh, fuck. We got to bleep that out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we yeah. will. Don't all worry. Right. Yeah. Don't worry. We, you, we yeah. can edit whatever so, the fuck we want. Yeah, all right. Please bleep that <laughs> Of course. So I sent him this message and I said, hey, man, you know, uh, if this is your house, you know, I want to I want to buy the house maybe. He's like, well, are you a broker? And I'm like, no, I just want to buy the house. And he's like, well, make an offer. And I'm like, well, I don't have the money right now, but I want to buy the house. If, if you ever decide to sell it, would you please contact me? And, he, you know, I'm sure he was like, yeah, whatever, right? He, I don't even think he responded. And then I... I set an alarm on my phone. This was in April. Um, and then every April for the next eight years, I sent him a message. I said, Hey man, it's me again. Like, you know, I know you can see the message up there. If you're ever interested in selling the house, please contact me first. And then about like 2015 or 16, he put the house on the market and he didn't contact me. So I contacted him back and I said, Hey man, like, I thought you would let me know if, like, you were going to sell the house. And it, the house was priced super high, dude. And, like, way higher than I would have paid for it or anybody else, clearly, because it didn't sell. And um, so then for the next couple years after that, I, it didn't sell. He took it off the market. I kept sending the same message. And then eventually, like, he, he like, favorably replied. And he's like, hey, man, why don't you come over and have a look at it? Wow. And so Emily and I went over and we looked at the house. We walked through the house. Uh, he was super nice. We talked to him. And, you know, I said, you know, the guy's name was Jay. Still friends with him. Good dude. Yeah. He, uh, you know, I said, okay, well, and this time I could afford it. And he, he's like, well, I want this. And what he wanted was like, I'm not paying that dude. Like he knew I wanted the house bad, right? So I kind of screwed myself in the negotiation. <laughs> so we haggled back and forth for, I don't know, probably four or five months. Uh, and then we finally got to a point where, where I thought was, it was still high for what I thought, but it was, I was willing to pay it. Um, and it, it's funny because like I sent him a meme back to tell him that I was going to buy the house. So like, you <laughs> know, that, you know, that part in Django Unchained, you've seen that movie. Yeah. So, you know, the part where he said sold to the man with the fantastic beard. So there's a part, there's a meme that says sold to the man with the fantastic beard. And that's me. Right. <laughs> and I fucking bought the house with the meme. And this is a house that had affected me so deeply that I didn't quit my business, which then allowed me to end up living in that house. And that's where I live today. Crazy. Yeah, dude. It's, it's crazy. There's nothing by accident, dude. You, what you visualize will become your reality. It just will. If you're willing to put in the actions behind it. I mean, dude, like I could have thought of any house. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like the millions of houses on the internet, like I could have picked any house, dude. But when I thought about my life and I visualized like what it was going to look like if I didn't quit. I visualized myself driving down the driveway and like seeing, you know, myself walking up the driveway. Like I'd see my, it's like, it's almost like it was pre-programmed to fucking happen. Yeah. You know? How should someone think about visualization for themselves? You know, I think they have to look at it as a skill set. You know, I think, I think you have to understand that to get good at any skill, you have to have reps. Mm -hmm. To get good at podcasting, you have to have reps. To get good at speaking, you have to have reps. To get good at weightlifting, you have to do reps. Like it's really the secret to almost anything. And so I think getting in a position where you understand one, that it's real and two, that it's real, whether you choose it's real or not, that's the thing that people have to understand. This is no different than gravity. You could say to me, hey, gravity doesn't exist. But if we go up on the top of this building and you step off, you're going to learn really quick that it's a real thing. And people think that law of attraction is something that they can believe in or not believe in, when in reality, 
it's happening whether you recognize it or not, because if you go back and track your thoughts and you audit your thoughts honestly, you are living the existence that you believe you deserve to live right now. So when you learn to control that, just like we're talking about this through learning, accepting that it's true, and then practicing the skill set, you get better and better and better and better. And how I came across it was I was lucky enough to meet someone in 2006 um, who understood the law of attraction and who educated me on it and gave me the book, The Secret, okay? And I watched The Secret and I was like, this is kind of cheesy, dude. But at the time I was so broke that I'm like, well, but I'll fucking do it, right? You were sixty to $70,000 in debt. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and by the way, I was living with my dad at that time. Yep. I had to move back home. And uh, so I started to think, I'm like, fuck, dude, you know, this is really cheesy, but I'll, I'll fucking commit to it. And so I started making up this little routine in my brain and I would close my eyes at night and I would start to visualize this exact scenario. I would visualize myself. And by the way, now remember this, I'm 27 years old. I had to move back in with my dad because my business was struggling and I couldn't afford to live on my own. So I just picked the biggest dream that I could think of for me. And the biggest dream at that time that I could think of for me was owning a Lamborghini and flying private. All right. So, and I'd never done either of those things. All right. And, and nobody I fucking knew owned a Lamborghini. I didn't know anybody that owned a Lamborghini. I didn't know anybody that flew private. I fucking didn't even, it was like a trillion miles away from my current reality. But I picked it because I'm like, I, I always love Lamborghinis and flying private seemed pretty cool. Like, right. And it is. All right. So I, I closed my eyes at night and for five minutes before, before I went to bed, I'd start to think this dream and I would see myself pull up uh, and I was driving the Lamborghini. I could smell it. I could, I could, I could feel the Alcantara and, you know, I could see out the windshield. And as I pulled up and I turned to the right, I, the jet would go across my windshield where I could, I could see the jet and the jet was white with some blue stripes on it, had a really nice chrome set of stairs with some wood grain on it. And I could see this going across the windshield as I turned the car to the right. And then as I opened the door, the door would open, you know, vertical like Lamborghini doors do. And I would look out the door and I could see the jet. And particularly I could see the, the steps going up to the jet and it had a rug and it had the wood grain steps and it had the chrome and I would walk up and then I would get into the jet and I would like notice all the things in the jet. I would see the material. I would notice the, the, uh, the wood grain. I would notice the, the marble. I would notice the leather seats and the color of them. And I would just think this, this simple two minute or three minute exercise over and over and over again. Right. And the other thing that I would visualize is that I would visualize, I read, I picked this up off one of the things I read the vi to visualize people cheering for you. I don't know why that appealed to me. You know, when I grew up, I always felt like I was a performer of some sort, but I didn't know what. Mm -hmm. And so I picked this thing of me where I was on stage and people were clapping and I had no context to it other than that. And I would always see that right after the jet. So right after I got on the jet, then I would see like this short, very short, like three second clip of me being on stage and people cheering wow. and bro fucking that was 2007 8 9 10 11 12 by 2012 5 years later that was a fucking reality for me wow. like I, I dude i've only flown commercial one time since then wow so like we are talking about legitimately creating your reality you know like i went i had a white lamborghini i've had a bunch of them just like the one in the visualization like i just said i haven't flown on a on a commercial airliner in over 10 years. Mm -hmm. 
You see what I'm saying? Like this shit becomes real. And by the way, um, I sell out motherfucking spaces all the time to go speak. And when I'm done, guess what people do? They usually clap. Not all the time, but most <laughs> of the time, you know? So like these things are real. And if we can intentionally create a reality through visualization, why wouldn't you want to do that? So you have to start, you have to buy in, you have to say, okay, this is a real thing, whether I understand it or not. It's This is being a realist, okay? This is important. You have to look at things for what they are, not what you want them to be or what you believe they shouldn't be. You have to say, this is what it is. And from all accounts, in my observation, this is a real thing that exists. Hmm. So you have to accept that it's reality first off, and then you have to start practicing. So pick a dream that is the biggest fucking dream that you that makes no sense. It doesn't have to. And then dedicate that time to just seeing yourself living that dream and don't allow yourself to get off track of the how I'm going to get to that point. Mm. This is where a lot of people get confused with this. They, they start to visualize this. And then during the thought process, they allow themselves to get into the how I'm going to get there. That's not the point of this. The point of this is to see yourself living this life. And we'll worry about the how, you know, tomorrow when we wake up and take actions. So that would be my advice on how to think about it and how to start about it. And also my testimonial as to how real it is. And when I've adjusted that, you know, of course, when I hit that, I started to adjust it. Right. And when I've adjusted that, all those other things have happened the exact same way. Like literally every single one of them, wow. every single one of them, dude, not even miss on any of them. So I truly believe that we all have this power. I believe it's a real thing that exists. And I believe that the governments of the world have long conspired to not allow people to understand how we actually exist in reality and what allows us to create our own reality. I think we are far more powerful than we have been led to believe. Okay. So on that point, on education, you've said before, the majority of time I went through the regular education process, I was told I was incapable. I was told that I should be regular. I was told my dreams were stupid. The system that we have is flawed because it does not encourage the actual potential of what humans have. And I was told that for fucking 16 years. Yeah, bro. Me too. Me too. That's your quote. Yeah. But it's like, it's all of us. And yeah. what, and the reason why I think your show is successful, the reason why you are successful is because you are teaching a new education that is real, that works, that has been not given to people. Why is the education system so flawed? And what can we do other than record podcasts and content like this to change it? Well, I think we have to recognize that the education system is not education. It's indoctrination. All right. So if we rule, if me and you were the rulers of a country, right. And we're like, fuck, there's millions of these people. How do we keep them under control? Okay. We can't create a force that is equal to the size of these people because there's not enough people on our side. Mm. So how do we do it? Okay, well, let's teach them that they're not in control of their reality. Let's teach them that, you know, success is bad thing and for greedy people and it's uh, it's not humble. Let's teach them that, you know, it's shameful to say that I want to be successful. Let's teach them that, you know, everybody gets a trophy for showing up. Let's teach them that, you know, no matter who you are, if you're born a certain color or a certain race with a certain pigment in your skin, you're either a racist or you are 
incapable of succeeding. Let's teach them all these limiting beliefs. Let's not teach them personal finance. Let's not teach them the real things that are going to affect their lives. Let's not teach them how to be healthy. And when they get done with all of that, they'll be our perfect little peasant and they will be our perfect little consumer of our corporate buddies who finance our campaigns to stay in power. And this is the system that we live in. And a lot of people don't like to admit this, but it's the truth. We live in a system where we are promised freedom and autonomy and free will, where we are highly controlled and manipulated at all times. And so our education system cannot be looked at in its current state as an education system. We have to look at it for what it is, which is a handicapping system of all human potential so that when people graduate, the next step is go into college, get yourself into $100,000 worth of debt that you cannot get out of because we're not going to teach you the skills in college to actually get out of it. And so the problem with the education system is not is that fundamentally it's not an education system. It's indoctrination for the purpose of control over a, a society. So that's the first thing. So what does that mean for us? And how do we fix it? Well, we could fix it, but it would take a lot. And it's going to take us reallocating tax dollars to provide favorable salaries and career paths for actual quality human beings that care about kids. Dude, if a teacher makes 30 or 40 grand a year, you're not going to have people that are capable of making two or 300,000. Like who should we have teaching our fucking kids, right? We should be having people who are succeeding in the system that we live in, teaching our kids how to succeed in that system. So for us to attract a higher quality person, we have to reallocate tax dollars, create programs to attract quality teachers into the program. Not saying there's not a lot of quality teachers, but there's also a lot of shitty ones. Mm -hmm. So we have to, we have to raise the standard, um, by raising the incentives, right? That's the first way, but that's that's a political solution that needs to happen. And parents, you should be demanding this to happen mm. because we shouldn't be sending hundreds of billions of dollars overseas to places that do not affect our children and then giving our children the scraps of our tax dollars and our education system. That doesn't make any sense unless, unless we're worried about them not becoming things rather than becoming things, mm. okay? So that's the first step. Uh, what should we do? Well, look, man, the, the best news is, is that we have more information taught by quality people who are actually doing real things that exists in the world right now for free mm-hmm. or low cost than we've ever had. You know, um, and this is not a pitch, but like I have a business development group called Arte Syndicate with Ed Milet. Both Ed Milet have, and I have both built multiple companies successfully, and we teach other entrepreneurs in that group you know, and we charge $400 a month. That's about what it is. But what they get is they get the roadmap to build their, their company and their life and their business. And so if you look at the cost of that versus the cost of a college education and what you learn, it's a no brainer, right? But we're also not taught to value information properly, which is, you know, we are indoctrinated over the course of time, college education, right? Like, dude, when I became an entrepreneur, dude, it was not cool to be an entrepreneur. It was like, you were a loser. They couldn't cut it in college. All right. So the perspective has changed quite a bit. But until we recognize that we have more free information taught by real people via podcasts, YouTube, uh, all kinds of things than we've ever had before. And that information is more valuable than the the information that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars at a university for practical life purposes. Until we have that realization, you know, people are still going to fall into that trap and they're going to come out of that trap chained to debt, forced to work things they don't like, 
confused on why they aren't getting ahead when in reality the whole system was geared for them to never get ahead that's Mm -hmm. the whole point so you know things i'm doing you know i do my podcast i do most of my i do i do social events but most of my podcast is personal development still Uh, i'm relaunching the mf ceo project which is um a huge there's other things that go with it too uh but i'm targeting the new podcast towards kids who are like 17 to 25 to help them learn the real skills of how to win in life. And I think, you know, other people are recognizing that we're not getting what we need out of our education system. And so they're looking for alternatives. And I think it's just people like me and other people who have been successful taking charge and saying, no, you know, just like in the old, you know, ancient days, the elders would teach the younger people how to win or how to survive or how to cook food or kill Buffalo or whatever it was, right? They teach the skills get passed down and the university system is not doing that. They're not passing the skills down. In fact, they're keeping the skills from you intentionally. And so we, as people who care about the future generations of the country, have a duty to share what we know when we think we can contribute and actually live a high standard and help people live a high standard as well. And that's how I see it. Yeah, I love that. So I want to talk about the point about the elders because Mm -hmm. we've lost uh, a respect and a reverence for elders in part, I think, because young people can use the internet to gain such status and wealth in such a short amount of time. But what does that mean for society when we don't value elders' wisdom as much? Well, I think we're seeing it. You know, I think we're seeing it in the world. I think we're seeing a world where we have fake kindness. You know, there's a lot of people that pretend to be kind on the internet that don't live that way in real life. You know, we have people that walk up and down the street giving out money and posting it for likes and shares and clicks and clout, right? Like these aren't the real things that the world needs. The world needs you to actually get involved. The world needs you to actually solve problems. And I think what we're seeing because of the quickness of financial success with some of the social media opportunities and these things like that, is we're creating a people who think that it's easy. And what we also see is a lot of people who do have success in a very quick way and then they fall off Mm. and they cannot figure out how to create it again. Well, the reason they can't figure out how to create it again is because they didn't create it the right way in the first place. Mm. So they got a little lucky because of the technology that we're living with. But, you know, ultimately, dude, I I think the main point is, is that the internet takes away a lot of the things that are crucial to a functioning civil society through the quick, easy, instant means of communication mm-hmm. uh, and gratification. Yeah. Have you played around with AI or chat GPT at all? No, nah, man, I refuse to. Refuse? Yeah, I won't do it. Do you see that ever changing? No. Well, would that be similar to someone saying, I don't want to use Google? Maybe. In 1995 yeah, or maybe, 2000? You have to have your principles, dude, and I just stand on them. W- what are the principles? Why? My, my principle is that I understand. I mean, dude, we have the smartest dude on the planet, Elon Musk, warning everybody that this shit should be destroyed. Okay? Mm-hmm. If you if you look at chat GPT, it's highly biased. It's programmable. People think, oh, it's AI. It thinks for itself. It actually doesn't. The, there's a fundamental fucking reality that it's programmed with that you could clearly see when you ask certain questions versus other questions. And- Unless we have mass rejection of this technology, mm. it's it's going to ruin and, and actually usher in a communist state because what will happen is it will eliminate so many jobs. People say, oh, it'll just evolve jobs. No, there, no, it won't because it'll eliminate so many mid-level jobs 
that there isn't enough high-level jobs where the people that were doing those mid-level jobs cannot do those jobs. Not, not everybody can fucking be a CEO, bro. Not everybody can be a chief marketing officer. Not everybody can do these things. But those people can do everything they want to do with this technology and replace all those people. And they're going to. Hmm. Okay? And that creates a massive problem because now we have the middle class of America out here without jobs. So what do they have to do? They have to become dependent on the government. Well, when you have a class of citizens that are ultra wealthy and then you have another class where everybody below ultra wealthy is dependent on the government, that's essentially what sets up for a communist state. Hmm. All right? So, you know, this is, this is not good. It's, that's my personal belief. And I, do I think it's amazing? Yeah, it's fucking amazing. I can acknowledge that. Like, it's incredible. But at the same time, dude, I, I'm not, I provide jobs, man. Like, I have 450 people that work in this building. You know what I'm saying? Like, I have thousands of outside reps that, that I'm responsible for. I realize how much, I could, like, dude, I could literally replace probably 60% of my company with this, this, this technology. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. dude, think about that. Now all these people don't have jobs. What do they got to go do? Like we're not thinking long-term in this country. We're thinking short-term and they're fooling us with convenience and making it amazing, right? Who, who is they in this Well, scenario? I mean, bro, that's the powers that run the world. You know, this is what I think it is, is the World Economic Forum um, who usher down totalitarian tactics through ESG, uh, diversity inclusion at big corporate government systems. So if you can change the culture of a big corporation where they employ the most people, the culture will be taken home and, and get into the community. Uh, but, you know, when it comes to what the goal is, the goal is one world government. And the only way that you can have one world government is if you have one extreme class of very rich people and a bunch of worker bees that are dependent on them. It's mm -hmm. the only way you can do it. So, um, I think it's very dangerous, dude. And I think it, I think my personal thing is like, I don't believe in cancel culture. I don't believe in political correctness. I don't believe in silent majority. I don't believe in, in these, everybody gets a trophy. I don't believe in all these things that I believe from my observation are social weapons to cripple the society from actually acknowledging the truth and fixing the truth. And I think chat GPT is very dangerous because it takes away our ability to actually be educated about fucking anything. Mm -hmm. And nobody's talking about that. So if we create a generation or two of imbeciles, all right, that don't know anything and just go to this thing, we're no longer the people that run the planet. The technology is. And we're, this is not, you know, like I'm friends with Gary Vee. He fucking loves this technology. But like, bro, Gary, I don't think you're thinking it through. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just my personal opinion. And by the way, we disagree on a lot. We're still friends. Mm. Um, I... Now, if I was if I was to say what's best for me, how can I make the most money? Mm. How can I grow the fastest? It's a great fucking tool, but I, I I morally I don't feel okay with that. Wow, yeah, it's fascinating. I wonder what the the reaction was to social media and Google search. Dude, it might put me out of business, bro. I mean, it might eventually put me out of business because if everybody else does it and I don't, I get fucking killed. Yeah. So, how does that coincide with trying to build the next Nike? I don't know. We're going to find out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I like, still, at the end of the day, bro, I believe in people. I, I, I have the data that suggests, and I've speculated on this for years and talked about this on my show for years, that people are recognizing a lot of the negativity regarding technology and what it takes away from the human experience. You're, the cool thing now is to spend less time on your phone. Yes. The cool thing now is to not have an Instagram account. The cool thing now is, you know, like, dude, look at how much hype went into Web3 and Metaverse, right? And look what happened. 
It didn't get adopted by the people. The reason that it didn't get adopted by the people was because people are already to the point where they're like, fuck, dude, I waste six hours of my day on this fake reality on my phone. I don't want to go further into that. Mm. So it's being rejected on a mass scale because people are valuing real life. Yeah. And in business, I can, sh I could show you very accurate data that reflects that speculation because I have retail company that I own and I have polls that I run and I ask people things and I can see how, where like our retail companies right now are doing the best they've ever done. Mm -hmm. And you know why? Because people don't want to just shop with the big global corps anymore. They're becoming aware. So they like know that I should shop with a locally owned place. I should spend my money with an American company that provides jobs. And I believe I'm betting on, and this might be a bad bet. Like I said, I could be wrong. All right. But I'm betting that people will decide to shop with their dollars to the companies that provide actual human employment over using uh, AI for shit. Yeah. Well, Casey Neistat just put out a video that showed- He's a smart dude. ChatGPT doing an AI video that created, it created a video of him. Yeah. And- It looked pretty good too. It looked good, but it didn't have soul. Yeah. And that was his takeaway. Yeah. And that's the crazy thing about all this is like what you have, what you've built here is full of soul. Yeah. It's full of- energy of human passion and that's what we're attracted yeah. to and we can feel that yes when we look at someone in their eyes we can look at that when we feel a product we can look at that when we see a brand we can look at that when we see a video it's like oh that was a bad video why was that a bad video it lacked soul that's right yeah dude i you know i i don't think i and dude we could go back in three years or two years and say fuck he was so wrong but my bet on this is that people will spend their money people who actually employ people and care about this country and care about our own communities. Mm -hmm. And I'm willing to make that bet with my entire existence. And if I'm wrong, I'll fucking lose. And if I'm right, I'll be the only guy out there still winning. Yeah. You know, and I have a pretty decent track record. Well, I respect you so much for your values, for being here, for spending all this time with me today. I can't thank you enough for your impact on my life. I like to end these podcasts with a challenge. I ask the guest a challenge to leave the person with because you listen to us speak, but mm -hmm. what action are you actually taking from the things that we talked about today? So does that challenge come to mind from everything Absol we spoke about? Absolutely. I would challenge you guys. Am I doing this right? All right. I would challenge you guys to realize that the way that we're going to fix the world is not because of a president. It's not because of a media company. It's not because of your social media account. It's gonna be because of you deciding to live a higher standard in all areas of your life. Personal excellence is the ultimate rebellion. If we want a better world, we have to create a better world for ourselves. Meaning, we have to choose to put good things in our brain. We have to choose to put the good things in our body. We have to choose to be educated. We have to choose to be healthy. We have to choose to be active. And if we choose to treat people with kindness and, and, and grace and humanity on top of all those things, other people will follow suit. That your neighbor who you think just drinks, he might be drinking a 12 pack of a beer a day right now. He sees you transform your life. He comes over and he says, hey, Daniel, why? what the fuck's up, dude? Like, you look great. What's going on? And he's inspired a little bit more to do a little bit better. And then so because he starts to take care of himself, his kids see it. And so there's this massive ripple effect that we all have an obligation to be a part of called personal excellence. And it, it is cool. 
It's not, what's not cool is being a fucking loser. What's not cool is listening to everything that you see and believing it. What's not cool is consuming things that are bad for you. What's not cool is living a life that is below what you could actually live because it's not actually even about you. It's about every motherfucker that looks at you, whether it be your friends, your families, your neighbors, the people in your community, them observing you living at a higher standard and them deciding I'm going to live at a higher standard as well. And that's how the world changes. So when you look around the world and you say, my life doesn't matter. I don't matter. Actually realize that it's the opposite. Your life matters the most. Your actions matter the most because your actions are going to dictate the reality for another human being. And that human being is going to inspire another human being. And that ripple effect cannot be quantified. And we all have a responsibility to contribute to it. So that's my challenge. Be fucking better. Andy Frisella, episode 346. Thank you so yeah, much, man. That was that fucking was amazing. Yeah, that was a great podcast, bro. You're really good at what you do, dude. Thank you. That was fucking awesome. I that was a great that. interview. I appreciate that tremendously. Yeah. Fucking 10 hours of work went into yeah. prior to also yeah, but, listening to hundreds of episodes. Yeah, but you know? bro, that's like, you have no idea like how many people I sit down with an interview and they have no fucking idea what we're, like that, people will change because of that. Yes. That's an awesome fucking show. Thank you, man. Yeah, bro. I appreciate that fucking Thanks for coming up, dude. You're the fucking yeah. man.